Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. tuning in. Welcome back. I am joined today by two lovely guests. Firstly, we have lovely Rosie O'Donovan. Hello. Hello. Rosie has been on before. Mm-hmm. We did about the dragon. We did. We did the dragon of viewers. That was possibly a crocodile. It was not a dragon. <laughs> or indeed, just nothing. It just could, a mythical yeah. creature. <laughs> it could have been the product of an overactive imagination. It could. And we also have Rob Levy. Hello. Hooray. Hello. Hooray. Sorry, I said hooray instead of hello. Well, hello. Appropriate, I think. Both are appropriate. Thank you for coming. Yeah. I'm excited to have you both back. Thank you for having us. Um, And we have a really fun topic today, and that is the smugglers of Suffolk. And we've never, that sounds good. We've never done smugglers before, so it's quite new and exciting for us. Excellent. Um, and there are lots of tales of ne'er do wells. Holes. Holes, exactly. Holes in the ground. There's a bit of tax talk to understand the rise of smuggling. Cove? A cove. There's a gap. (laughs) (laughs) In order for me to know whether a gap is similar to a cove, I would have to know what a cove is. What is a cove? I think they're bluff. Is a cove like a lagoon? A bluff old cove. (laughs) Is it... That's like a cove a person. <laughs> oh, are they not the same thing? There's a cove, like a, isn't it like an oh, inlet? Like, I would say it was semicircular. Could right. be, roughly. Um, so. And shadowed, like basically like cupped. Good for smuggling. A um, or shaded. Yes, shaded, overshaded, yes. Yeah. Yeah, a, a bit I would hidden. Say that was covey. Mm. Well, I haven't even written the word cove once in all my notes. So I'm glad, but I'm glad we covered it. Yeah. Do you think we should just add it in whenever we feel it's appropriate? <laughs> cove! Well, I think before we talk a bit more about what smugglers bring to mind, let's have our first drink, which Rob Levy has made. And there was an alarming amount of talk earlier of the possibility of poison. Well, I had a very exciting idea for a drink that was to do with smuggling. And then for some reason, I just decided to look it up. And I did find that one of the aspects of this drink can be in the wrong doses, be a virulent poison. There's a lot of oranges in that drink. Yeah. <laughs> the it's a, just, it's not a massive oranges. jug of oranges. <laughs> <laughs> the, or- <laughs> the, poisonous the orange is not the poisonous part. Should we pour it out? Yes, pour it out. And then have a smell and see whether you can Ooh, guess what the poison is. If, um, if all noise ceases, you'll know that we've yeah. <laughs> all been, <laughs> been poisoned. It's quite mm. pale. It is quite pale. I thought it was going to be more orange, but I think that's because of all the oranges. It looks like one of those vitamin drinks you might get. Like a uh, Barocca. Yeah. Okay. Has it got nutmeg in? No, but that's not in the totally wrong direction. Oh, is it mace? No, it is. Should we taste it? Oh, yeah. Taste it, taste it, taste it. I'll tell you what we should do. We have a little sip and then maybe wait for a while. And if nobody dies, then we can have <laughs> then another Then we sip. proceed. <laughs> okay. What's the booze? Tequila booze? It's kind of, gr- kind of gross, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Do you, so I can't I can't make I, head nor tail of what's in here. <laughs> it's sort of how to describe it. It tastes like weak orange squash. <laughs> <laughs> and yet maybe quite is it and strong? maybe very possibly very strong. 
Okay, tell us your story. I'll tell you the story. I was thinking about smugglers and thinking about contraband, and I thought, oh, what about spices? Uh, mm-hmm. they, you know, because I don't suppose spices were actually smuggled, but they were very valuable, weren't they, back in the, in the days of smuggling? I think they probably just were smuggled. We haven't done that thing where we were going to have one sip and then wait to see what the effect was. Oh, no. We've just, <laughs> we've just, been, merrily, we've just been merrily gulping it down. <laughs> And then I thought, well, what else? What else was would have been contraband or valuable? Mm. And I thought tobacco. Yes. <gasps> so it has got tobacco infused vodka. Oh, yes. In the drink. Yes. So this is soda water with fresh oranges, ginger liqueur, and tobacco vodka. Yeah. Did you make the tobacco infused vodka yourself? I did. You might ask me how I did it. I can sort of imagine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's exactly right. That is how I do it. Interesting. It has got a bit of a smoky. It can be a little bit smoky. Yeah. A bit like a roll up. Yeah. Yeah. And like sh- I'm drinking weak orange squash through I can, a roll up. I can see some strands. <laughs> oh, there might be some strands. And have you got a name for the mysterious tobacco drink? Uh, no. <laughs> I haven't got one. Oh, and what is the poison? Is tobacco bad? Um, nicotine. You... Oh, it's tobacco bad. Nicotine is a. <laughs> what? <laughs> telling me tobacco is not good for you. <laughs> Nicotine. Nicotine is something like milligram for milligram or microgram for microgram or whatever. It's like four times more poisonous than cyanide, arsenic, one of those. Okay. So per milligram, it's incredibly poisonous, nicotine. And I read a thing about making tobacco-infused drinks because I thought, well, I should look this up. And basically what it said was, if you're tempted to make tobacco-infused drinks, don't because (laughs) you don't know what you're doing. You'll get the doses wrong. You'll massively overdose your uh, guests okay. and they will be poisoned and die. But then the same article went on to give quite a detailed outline of the number of micrograms of the stuff in each gram of tobacco and an example of if you put this many grams of tobacco into vodka, yeah. then it may not be a fatal dose, but you'll certainly get a nasty kick off the off the nicotine. And I was like, I'm definitely going to make a tobacco-infused vodka. <laughs> <laughs> because it okay. told, basically told you what a non-lethal yes. dose would be. So, so I just dialed down that well, non-lethal dose. I'm really dose. glad that you checked on the internet because that is, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I go for all my The internet counts as research these days. Poison so, limits. I hope we won't die. How quickly would we know? We would know, I think, within... Uh, do you want me to check on the internet? <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those awful things that you don't want to have to go into hospital for. Yes. And say we it's made like a really tobacco embarrassing yeah. doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Having read on the internet that we shouldn't make tobacco infused drinks, we did make one and then we drank okay. it. But you're fairly sure we're safe. Yeah, yeah. The the dose is much lower than the okay. dose that the website suggested would be a non fatal dose. Okay. If okay. you drank several cocktails at that dose. <laughs> okay. That's fine. So we're, we're, we're many times on. lower than the fatal limit. <laughs> well, you're right that tobacco was regularly smuggled. It was one of the most smuggled goods. So it's certainly topical. If Don't do it, else. kids. Topical and poisonous. Those um, are my favourite two. <laughs> smuggling. So what do you think of, if I say smugglers to you? Pirates. You think of pirates? I think of pirates. Without pirates, surely no smugglers. But smugglers and pirates aren't the same, are they? No. No, but the smugglers hide the pirates. Plunder. No, not really. My drink won't make sense then. I think it will make sense. (laughs) Well, that's fine. You think of pirates, Rob. What do you think of? Cove. Cove. Okay. I think of a cove. (laughs) I tell you what I think of, yeah, is like low down little caves near the tidal line or whatever Mm -hmm. that's called. I think of those little beanie hats. Smuggler's beanie. Oh, yeah. Like a fisherman's woolen hat. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, I'll tell you some more about it. We can see if any <laughs> of these the assumptions are, are <laughs> correct. So the height of smuggling in Britain was the 18th century and a, a bit into the 19th century. That's in a similar way to how I don't know East by West unless yes. I do never eat shredded wheat. I have to always have to work out yeah. 18th century. 1700s. 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 Yes. Nice. So before this, there had been a little bit of evasion, like tax evasion, smuggling goods in outside the regular ports a bit of backdoor dealing, that kind of thing, but it really absolutely skyrocketed during the 18th century. Do we know why that was? I can tell you why. Why? She's got it. I've got it. (laughs) The best known areas of smuggling in the UK are probably Kent, Sussex, also Cornwall, Daphne du Maurier's Mm. Jamaica Inn has a smuggling Cornwall with rice. Cornwall rice That's where I would put smuggling. There's a lot of coast, isn't there? Yeah, a lot of coast, a lot of coves. But smuggling exports went on all around the country and we shall see that Suffolk had its fair (laughs) share. And my sources today, uh, Richard Platt, Smuggling in the British Isles. Platt also has an extensive website at smuggling.co.uk. That's not true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and he he has, got in there early with that website. He's got loads of, loads of great stuff on there. And I Leonard... wonder how many people a year go to his website hoping to get some contraband. <laughs> but it's just a history of uh, British tax systems and uh, the rise of smuggling. And also Leonard P. Thompson, Smugglers of the Suffolk Coast. Good stuff. So the... Explosion of the illegal trade in the 18th century, or as the smugglers called it themselves, the free trade. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, nice. Free that the origin of the term free trade? Well, they called themselves free traders. I say yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes. And the primary cause was an extremely punitive tax system, which started to basically mean that taxes were so high on products that were being imported into the country, people couldn't afford them anymore. They just became outrageously expensive. Also, the British government didn't really have a great system for collecting taxes on imported goods. So it was not that difficult to actually avoid. There were no hologram stickers back in the days (laughs) for you to say what had had its stamp. Yeah. And tax rises resulted was mainly because there were a lot of wars going on. So Britain was fighting a lot of wars. Wars with France, wars further out in the empire in, for example, Jamaica, India, uprisings in North America. So they were basically didn't have very many military personnel in the country because everyone was off fighting elsewhere. And in order to pay for the wars, they were like, we're just going to whack up a lot of our taxes. Um, So everyone who was left was basically... I'm doing what I want. Yeah, so so there, it, there wasn't really enough manpower to fight the smugglers. And also pretty much there would be communities where almost everyone was involved with smuggling because they were like, well, fuck those guys. <laughs> you know, fuck the government with their outrageous taxes. We're doing free trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This so, is, smuggling is one of those enterprises that really benefits from having a juicy, good word associated with it. Smuggling. Smuggling. Mm. smuggling. If it was called like ocean-based tax avoidance yeah. or something, then it, wouldn't, <laughs> it would be in no way. So basically what smuggling is, is bringing goods into the country and not paying the tax that is owed on is that those all? I thought it was something to do with hiding. I thought you had to have a, a like a like a quarantine period of hiding something in a hole before it there became There is hiding involved, but that was part of the avoidance of the taxes. Yeah. Was the hiding element. So so there's definitely a lot of hiding. You're but, not wrong there. But they weren't actually aging their goods. It's not like No. Smuggling doesn't involve. <laughs> <laughs> I will aged. bring in a brie, but it will not become a Stilton until <laughs> Um, The two main types of tax on imported goods were customs, and this was based on a historical precedent that all cargo that entered the country 
a part of the value of that cargo should go to the crown. Mm. And after 1688, this was restructured in such a way that the government would take a cut. And excise, customs and excise, and excise had its origins in the English Civil War, which was in the 1600s. And that was brought in specifically to raise money for the war effort, basically, to raise money. So customs and excise are two separate types of... Different types of tax. No way! And excise is a tax on domestic consumption. During the war, loads of stuff was subject to excise. After the war finished, excise duties remained on chocolate, coffee, tea, beer, cider, spirits. It's basically exactly the same thing as, as now. now. Yeah. And then actually in um, 1688, there were some new systems of tax introduced, which really ramped up the levels that were owed. And it also, again, increased excise to cover a lot of different items as well. So basically, smuggling arose out of a kind of economic necessity because people couldn't afford um, to buy goods that were bought at like full price, if you like. I'm surprised they even had chocolate in 1600. (laughs) I didn't know that. I wouldn't have expected it to be in such wide distribution that people would smuggle. I don't know that chocolate, I mean, chocolate doesn't appear in any other smuggling stories that I've read. The main things seem to be tea. Ah, Uh, tea. Something I read estimated that at one point, four out of every five cups of tea drunk in the country were smuggled. <laughs> tea. I would smuggle for tea. Tobacco, yeah. as, as you now poison us with. Yes. Um, <laughs> and also drink, so brandy, gin, whiskey. Um, yeah, lots like of Like in whiskey yeah, galore. Spirits. Yes. Did you so, watch that as reference? No, I didn't. What is whiskey galore? It is a 1950s film about a small community in the Shetland Islands. And they're very God-fearing until a shipwreck of whiskey lands on their beaches and then they have to smuggle it away in the night before the Sabbath. And then once (laughs) uh, the Sabbath is over, they all get really drunk. And it's the sort of thing that used to pass for comedy before (laughs) colour was invented. (laughs) The tax collection was inept as well. So there were custom houses situated at ports around the coast. And the idea is that you would, if you were... uh, you know, a law-abiding importer, you would report to the customer houses and say, I'm about to bring in this many tonnes of tobacco, this much tea, this is what I would owe you for that, and then you pay it. But they were kind of, as I said, they weren't very well staffed. The people that worked in them were paid pretty poorly, so they weren't heavily invested in the job Mm. anyway. So like today. Uh, There was corruption, you know, people were easily, could be bribed, and there was a lot of coast Obviously, that was not covered with any sort of system of surveillance, so people could quite easily just go up the coast a bit and uh, I wonder why into people bothered going to the custom houses, but at all. Well, technically, you know, you could be arrested and it was illegal. So if you were law abiding. Are we going to talk about the red and green channels at airports? Because are we going to talk about that? <laughs> Because that I, has always I'm, genuinely mystified I me. I wasn't going to. But, right, because I've always wondered when you arrive at the airport, it says, have you got yeah. anything to declare? And I'm like, I don't know, have I? What? And if yeah. I did, what would it be? And what would happen if I went through the Red Channel? What would I do and what would I occur? remember when I bought that hogskin yes. in Budapest. You bought a whole hogskin? I bought a, like a, uh, a, a wild yes, boar skin. Hoggers. Hoggers. As we called it. Was- it. <laughs> Three prods around the streets with Rosie made on a song. <laughs> It went, pelt, 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 we'll wear it as a coat. Pelt, 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 it doesn't cost the earth. Because I was like, oh, is it really, is it a good use of It doesn't cost a it rhymed. I thought you were doing a kind of postmodern, this is a jaunty song, but even jaunty songs don't have to rhyme. And I remember thinking at the time, is that a thing you declare? Is that something to go through the red aisle for? But I didn't. Has anybody ever been through the red aisle? No. 
Chris? just waltz through the green aisles if you had an area of care in the world without even no. knowing what it means to go through the red or the yeah, green aisle. No one ever tells you. Uh, exactly what privilege is, is the presumption of green <laughs> aisle. The presumption of green aisle. <laughs> the That's what it of is. Green aisle. As I say, there were coastal areas where smuggling was absolutely endemic. And as we'll see some examples, you know, pretty much everyone in the community was one way or another involved in it. You know, you could make a lot more money in the smuggling trade than you could as a labourer or as just a kind of plain old sailor. If you were embarking on smuggling trips and things, you'd be bringing home a huge amount more money than you would so we think of sea smugglers mainly, don't we? We do. Or I'm pirates. I'm if you're also crazy. thinking a little bit of barges. Okay, oh. going up I'm thinking the, a the little waterways. bit of barges. Yeah, yeah. yeah they did use the waterways, and of course there were sea smugglers, and they undertook the journeys to collect the various cargoes. So at the point that, say, they went off to Holland to buy, and um, there's a drink called Geneva mm. or Geneva. Which is like a gin liqueur type thing Sounds that nice. was smuggled. So at the point they were going to Holland and buying this, that nothing illegal at that point was happening. It was only at the point when it was coming into the country and not being declared that it became illegal. And sea smugglers would often be fishermen or sailors who were like, this is just a way of making a bit more money. And remember that these are sailing ships as well. Uh, steam powered ships didn't come until later. Yes. So these are long, hard journeys that these yeah. people are yeah. undertaking. So, so you'd probably feel like you've worked your way to a smuggle. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, you know, I've done all this hard work. Why, Why do I want to give a huge that? chunk of this to the to the government? But also those sailing ships were full of provisions anyway because the, the trips were so long that they had holds full of fresh water. It's and, true. Pigs. And pigs and booze, grog and whatever. <laughs> the old grog. I've just read. Lemons uh, to I've avoid just read. Um, what's the book about the whale? Moby Dick. I've just read Moby Dick, and I've also read another. What's the name? Melville. I've just mm-hmm. read another lesser-known Melville, which has also got quite a lot of detail about life on the ocean waves. I've heard that there's almost too much detail about that stuff in uh, his books. There's no, no way that almost is the right modifier <laughs> for that. It's Moby Dick is about fifty pages of, of really exciting plot line, followed by literally five hundred pages. <laughs> of natural history of the whale and whaling, and then another 25 pages at the end of like, oh, yeah, do you remember all these characters? Well, they all died. <laughs> that, is, that is what that is oh, what Moby Dick is. Oh, you saved me so much <laughs> time. Don't bother reading it unless you really, really want to know about how whaling was done. But there were also dry land smugglers, of course, because once the cargo gets to the coast, someone's got to take that into the towns and the cities. Mm. But is that is that smuggling though? That's just that's just handing handling smuggled that's just goods. Handling goods. Well, they were, but that's what smuggling is. So they were smugglers too. Right. So right. when we talk about smugglers, I think the main what people immediately think of is seafaring smugglers. Mm. But there were also these smuggling gangs that were operating on the ground, as it were. Yeah. And they were the ones who were taking the cargo. And one way or another, distributing it yes. to customers um, around. Yes. Um, so now I'm seeing horse-drawn carriages yes, yes. full of barrels. Yes. And some of the barrels are just a little bit of beer and some <laughs> of them are whiskey. Yes, yes. that's exactly correct. Yeah, yeah, like in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. So the land smugglers did a lot of fetching and carrying. And also as the crackdowns began, the government were trying to crack down on this. Uh, They were involved in security. So they were also basically like brute force. They were there to protect the cargo as well as to move the cargo. 
So customsmen and dragoons. Customsmen. Customsmen and dragoons who were the military men. Is that um, a real thing, dragoons? Dragoons, yes. <laughs> and they were stationed um, around Suffolk and around the coast. And the idea was if they'd found out that smuggling was going on, they were supposed to go and arrest people, seize the contraband. Dragoon them. And often this took a violent turn because a lot of the time there were more smugglers than dragoons, basically. Uh... So the dragoons were often very outnumbered and often came off the way in these violent altercations. Also, presumably, the smugglers may have had muskets and whatnot. Weaponry. Yes. They would be well tooled up with pikes. (laughs) Lances? (laughs) No lances, I don't think. (laughs) This drink is crazy, (laughs) Is it a head rush of the tobacco? There is a head rush of the tobacco. Are you harking back to your smoking days, Rosie? (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of the people that did the transporting and security work were agricultural labourers, but they could just earn far, far more money. And in fact, at one point, there was a number of years when there was just a shortage of labourers because everyone that would have been doing that job was just in a smuggling gang instead. <laughs> I feel like this is this is like prohibition, but for a lot longer. Yeah, sort of hundred years. And for everything. So. Yeah, for prohibition everything. Of everything. Yeah. This is also, this is like an episode of The Long View, isn't it? We've got shortage of labourers. We've got high taxes. Yeah. Things arriving on boats. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, The Long View is a programme where they look at something from the past and the present. Oh, no. So they'd go, the Roman invasion. Yeah, the, what, what's it clever it about it is that they always start the, they always start the programme by going... A hated right-wing government, uh, (laughs) doctors on strike, and people going crazy over TikTok. I'm not talking about now, but I'm rather talking about the 1880s, when an unpopular Tory government... Invented a ticking clock. Invented a ticking tock. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. And then there's always the same gag at the start of that programme. That sounds clever. Yeah. Because this does sound very like now. Yes, in some ways, yes, yes. A dissatisfied populace yeah. who uh, hated the government. Highest yeah. tax burden yeah. since, you know, whatever. Yep, yep, yep. So the land smugglers, their aim was to get the goods mostly into the towns and cities. So they had to use, as you say, they would go on the waterways. So Suffolk was good for that. Yeah. Lots of rivers. They would go on the roads in horses and carts. And once they got to the cities, there would be um, a network of people ready to kind of help them distribute through the cities as well. And their general occupations were much wider. So again, often it was like a side thing that people Mm -hmm. did. There's a list of convicted Dorset smugglers that Platt talks about. And that included innkeepers, dressmakers, shoemakers, bricklayers, charwomen, and so on. So all kinds of people were involved in the distribution in the cities. I wonder if there was an index somewhere. Where you'd go, oh, I've got some rum and I'm in Coventry. Probably. And then you'd be like, Someone oh, you know. need to see exactly. Charwoman Brown. Yeah, and, I reckon. Yeah. And one person's job was described as pig jobber, <laughs> <laughs> which I hadn't heard of before. That means a livestock merchant who deals in pigs. <laughs> of course it does. So, <laughs> <laughs> a bit of pig jobbing with smuggling on the side <laughs> for that person. So sometimes the sea smugglers were chancing their luck and they were just thinking, well, I know that if I bring tea and tobacco back, I'm going to find a buyer for that, no problem. But sometimes it was kind of to order. So there might be, for example, like a merchant in London who deals in haberdashery and they would say, what I'm looking for is I want this much velvet and I want this other fabric and I want these. Haberdashery is sort of fabrics. and You're thinking of millinery. Oh, yeah. So classic mistake. So sometimes the customers would be kind of outwardly respectable people, but who were just saying, actually, I I want my cheap goods. So they would kind of talk to the smuggling gangs and 
put their orders in and then the smugglers would know they had a ready buyer straight away. Well, this is also true of now, right? The the people who are most interested in tax evasion avoidance or avoidance? (laughs) I can't remember which one's which. Tax evasion is illegal. That's the good one. Tax avoidance is legal. So there are tax avoidance schemes. Right. But even today, it's the rich that spend most of their time thinking about tax avoidance and possibly evasion. Yes. And the sort of normal people who would actually benefit from a few extra quid. Mm. We just pay as you go and don't think about it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And then also there were these big smuggling gangs or consortiums. We'll hear a bit more about them. And they would work almost as like a cooperative, if you like. So they would all put a bit of money in and then off the sea smugglers would go with this amount of money that was like a little bit of investment from everyone in a gang, bring back the goods and then sell the goods. And then the money would go back according to how much you put in. I like these people. You like the free trade? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they were a violent bunch though. Well, I like that too. (laughs) Oh, you're going to hear some tales, some terrible tales. And the smugglers in the southeast of England, so East Anglia, Kent and Sussex as well, were mainly kind of supplying metropolitan areas. So the big like London, Ipswich, obviously not quite on the same scale, but a lot of these Suffolk smugglers. You should have started with Ipswich and then gone to London. (laughs) Ended up in in, uh, Ipswich. And I will tell us a bit more about a Suffolk smuggling gang. And this can tell us a bit more about how the smuggling actually worked. And this is the Hadley gang. Oh, I love Hadley. Tell us about Hadley. He's got a swimming pool. (laughs) (laughs) Hadley is a small town in Suffolk. Oh. A market town. Yeah, a market town. And I used to go there because it had a nice swimming pool. Oh. We used to go to Sudbury for that purpose. Oh, Sudbury swimming pool was amazing. It had a wave Wave machine. machine. Yeah, I went there recently and I got really excited because the train station is right next to the swimming pool. So as you wait for the train, you can see the swimming pool and reminisce about the wave machine. Yeah, and then a woman came up and she was so drunk. She was was awful. She'd been on the wave machine. The swimming machine. I don't know. Unless you were drinking the swimming pool. Yeah, it just really clouded the day. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. That. A sad end to that story. So now I'll reminisce about Hadley swimming pool instead. We used to go to Haverhill. Swimming, yeah, we went there. But they didn't have a wave machine. But they did have a flume that was dark for one section in Haverhill, I think. Yeah, that's exciting. That was really exciting in, with little stars in the ceiling. In the Haverhill swimming pool, I got stuck in one of those, you know, when like entrance turnstiles. Turnstiles, yeah. that's the word. And there's sometimes you get the turnstiles and like half of it is covered and then there's the bit that turns and you walk through that bit. But somehow I got inside. I was very small. I somehow like I pushed through and I just somehow went round and in. You found yourself on the wrong side. You went in. I was inside the like the dark half of the turnstile. You'd been smuggled by a turnstile. I remember I was crying in there because I couldn't foresee how I could ever get out. And my mum was like, just push yourself out. (laughs) Just push yourself out. But I was stuck in the turnstile. That's my main memory of Haverhill Swimming Pool. Being stuck inside the dark half of a turnstile. (laughs) And I thought the dark section of the flu was exciting. I hadn't really experienced Haverhill Swimming Pool at all. I don't know how I got in. I had to was so crouched. It was very weird. In another world, that's the best-selling album, The Dark Side of the Plume. I would just go in there and I would like enter a magical realm, like in um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. <laughs> the Lion, the Witch and the Wave Machine. 
Okay. How are we doing with our scary poison? I'm not sure I could drink anymore. <laughs> it's, it's kind of poisonous, isn't it? It I does. Think it has given me a head rush. Yeah, it's a bit poisonous. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we'll hear a bit about the Hadley gang. Probably the most famous smuggling gang of in the UK was the Hawkehurst gang and they were started off in Kent and then they grew their dominion all along the south coast as far as Dorset and they were very violent they were known for their violent retribution against people who wronged them or went against them how violent there was also the Aldington gang of East Kent and the North Kent gang you can guess where they're from um <laughs> And they were all known for their violence and ruthlessness. The predominant group in East Anglia was the Hadley Gang. And Leonard Thompson asserts that some of the acts that that bunch did were just as bad Mm. as what went on elsewhere in the country. For example, this is a small one. In 1727, one excise officer named Jeremiah Gardner attempted to apprehend some members of the gang near Snape. (gasps) Just on his own, the idiot. That's So there there were kind of... 10 or so of these of these smugglers and he attempted to apprehend them and said, you know, I know you've got this this smuggled goods. They overpowered him mm. and cut off his nose with his own sword. Oh my what? goodness. Snipped cut it off. His nose off. And then they left him for dead. Um, Would you die of a nose snip? Well, they they roughed him up okay. as well. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the indignity, I suppose, the nose. My customs and excise officer has got no nose. How does he smell? All that stuff. <laughs> Um, He managed to crawl away and hide behind a hedge and then one of the gang members, he later said, he heard one of them coming back to finish the job, but he was in a hedge so they couldn't find him. It's very murky around Snape, isn't it? (laughs) You'd never find that nose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hadn't even thought of the possibility of finding Finding the nose and reattaching it. Just keeping it as a pet. The reason why Rosie assumes you could reattach a nose is because there's nothing in Rosie's nose. Rosie's got an empty nose. She can squash it flat to her face. She's doing it now, listeners. Squashing it right flat down. It's great. I can't do that. I'm all cartilage in my... My nose has got no flesh. I can squash in about half a centimetre. Yeah, I can't. But Rosie squashes flat. I once told Ruth it's because of my Dutch heritage and she believed that all Dutch people could do this. Well, Well, who are we to say? Maybe not all. (laughs) But I did believe. And then years later, Rosa was like, oh, no, that's not true. I don't know why I have no cartilage in my nose. There are other stories of the Hadley gang that tell of beatings that they meted out to people and disappearances of those who tried to shop the gang to the authorities. And we'll hear a bit more about that later. Hadley is not on the coast. Is it, Rosie? No. No. I would say it were Rolling Hills. About 40 miles inland. The classic Suffolk Rolling Hills. Mm. It's positioned on the River Brett. Oh, not heard, heard of that. that. Between Ipswich and Sudbury. So it had good links to the coast and also good links inland as well. And that megalopolis, Ipswich. <laughs> the vast city of Ipswich. <laughs> there was a leader of the Hadley gang called John Harvey. And he lived um, in the first half of the 18th century in a manor house called Pond Hall. Nice. Oh. Which still stands in Hadley to this day. So even though he was a smuggling gang leader, he had a manor house to his name. There was a lot of money to be made in smuggling, mm. I'm led to believe. Ah, it's, ah, so after he got rich off smuggling, he then got Frog Hall... Pontal. I think so. I mean, it's not, there aren't, I couldn't find huge amounts of details about John Harvey other than mm. that he He's lived got in his, that, that name is very low search engine optimization, yeah. isn't it, John Harvey? Yeah, difficult. Not like Jeremiah, what's his face? Jeremiah the guy Gardner. With his nose, cut off. nose off. 
other notable Hadley residents, by the way, over yeah. the years, Maggie Hambling, the artist. Amazing. And also the metal band Cradle of Filth were formed in Hadley. <laughs> no. <laughs> that is not true. It's true. So that's my uh, other residents of Hadley facts. And Tony Hamling Hadley. And, uh, so Cradle, Cradle of Filth presumably was just named after li- literally just like a filthy old <laughs> baby's bed that they that they found. In they a... regarded Suffolk as the Cradle of Filth of England. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know why they called it. I'm just wondering before we go on to more Hadley gang, should we move to another drink? Yes. I don't think anyone can drink that much more of this. I'm nearly done. Also, if anybody wants to smoke a Marlboro Red during the... Uh, <laughs> During the break, <laughs> come and talk to me. Did you have to buy Marlborough Red for this? Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, I didn't you just know. buy a pouch? Well, you're no better off these days. Um, oh, okay. the cigarettes only come in packs of 20 and tobacco only comes in 30 gram pouches. And whichever way you buy it, it's over £15. Fucking hell. What? Yep. The That's small... the tax, Rosie. Yeah. No. This is why the smuggling happened. Are yep. you serious? It's yep. £15? Yep. That's amazing. I'm amazed. I would definitely <laughs> buy my cigarettes smuggled. Yeah. 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 I'm sure people do. They do. I now feel like yeah. a bit of an idiot. Now that we're learning about smuggling, I feel like having just gone to the shop and bought a pack of 20 Melbourne Rose. You feel like an absolute div. I feel like a div. <laughs> Is yes. it more palatable than this? Can I, hope I stop so. drinking mine? <laughs> yeah, let's give up on these. Um, thank you, though, Rob. And it sounds like you made quite a weighty financial investment in this drink I certainly, as well, so. I certainly did. Although I have got 18 Marlboro Reds left, so. <laughs> Holy shit! That is amazing. That's not a drink. It's a drink. <laughs> Screen wash in a skull bottle. <laughs> I can't even begin to describe that. It's, it's luminous. How many milligrams of this will poison us? Wow. Oh, that's nice. Do you want to know who the biggest killjoy sport person is in Britain currently? Which is it's going to surprise you because he was a goodie to the people like us. Dr. David Nutt or Professor David Nutt, oh, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. He still says you can legalise drugs, but I read a book of his called How Much to Drink or something. And I was like, oh, yeah, go on. And the answer is none. And the answer yeah. is none. He said the, none. The, the safe no amount of alcohol is no alcohol at all. And mi- middle class twats like you who think that drinking expensive alcohol is better than drinking cheap shit are wrong. It's all the same. Like if you drink a 1964 Chateau Neuf de Pap or whatever, it's the same thing as if you drink Frosty Jacks three liters for three pounds. <laughs> oh, no! Oh my way. god! This is what amazing! Is this? this is amazing! What actually is this? Oh my this? god! This is a drink of the sea. Where do we We're start? We're in an iceberg. We're Atlantic fishermen. Is this candy floss? Yes. Oh no my way. god! Okay, so we've been served this incredibly vivid, bright blue drink with, in my case, three ice cubes. And then draped kind of, what I can only say is sensuously over the glass, (laughs) is a puffy piece of delightful looking white candy floss. That's the sea foam. That's sea foam. And there's a little, one of those foam shrimp. It's a foam (laughs) shrimp. Sweets on the side as a garnish. I'm so happy. Ruth, you have um, excelled yourself. This is amazing. We had some candy floss last time for our Bawley Rectory. And I'll show you when we go downstairs. Jake mm. accidentally ordered an absolutely gigantic bucket of candy <laughs> floss. <laughs> so the candy floss is like the foam of the sea. Mm. And then our drink is the colour of green it ocean. beautiful. And um, a little shrimp. Do we, we, dip, do we dip any part in? I wouldn't dip. These foam shrimp taste exactly like foam bananas. 
Like, I'm in a bag with foam bananas. Ah. But I fear bananas in any form, so the bananas had to be removed. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's right. That's right. Can you guess its flavours? Alcohol. (laughs) Lime. Oh, yeah, I would have said lemon, but yes, lime is better. There's lime and lemon. Oh, we were both right. Love it. And orange. What makes it blue? It's blue curacao. Wow. That liqueur, that blue liqueur. And it was much bluer. And then one of the um, other elements went in, it transformed to this more of like the Mm. sea green colour, which is quite nice. Absinthe? No. (laughs) Vodka. (laughs) I don't think if I were to try and move from the sofa, I would be able to do it. (laughs) Okay. Rosie's glued herself to the (laughs) sofa with foam shrimp. (laughs) And we'll hear about the Hadley gang. Tony Hadley. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Hadley and his gang. (laughs) At full strength. They were operating through most of the early 1700s. At full strength, the gang numbered about 100 men. Great balls A sizeable force. And this basically meant that they were, as I said earlier, the, the dragoons were often outnumbered when it came to the Hadley gang because they just had more people and they weren't afraid to use violence if they needed to. Cut off the odd nose here and there. Yes, exactly. And they brought goods ashore at locations including, but not limited to, uh, <laughs> Sizewell, Oldborough and Dunwich. So different places along the coast and a lot of the stuff ended up going to Ipswich or further afield. Quite exposed, isn't it? The Suffolk coast. Windswept. That bit. Yeah, just sort of open. Not very covey. You could be seen for miles, I should think. Well, they were cunning. One dragoon could see you. How can one dragoon fight so many men? It couldn't. But it could, it could, call it could raise the alarm. Yeah. <laughs> One dragoon could raise the alarm. But how do you raise the alarm in, in 1700s? Ha, I don't know. You like beacons? Beacons. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, they galloped around on horses a lot from one place to another. Too to try and Maybe they galloped around family, waving yeah. those plastic tubes that make a sort of <laughs> sound. Maybe that was how they raised the alarm. We can hear a bit more about a typical operation and yep. it will give us insight into how the smugglers performed their sneaky tasks. Insights and ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Inspiration, we might say. The goods would be packaged up at sea, ready for land, and usually they would be put into packages that one person alone could lift. Whereas if you were going through the customs houses through the official ports, you could use all their kind of equipment to lift things and hoists exactly. Uh, All the the men that worked on the docks could help you. So they would be packaging things in much bigger bales because that makes more sense, right? It's more efficient. But no, they would want small packages that they could easily and surreptitiously move around and hide when they needed to. Dry goods such as tea and tobacco were packaged into small bales, then wrapped tightly in waterproof oil skin. I was just about to ask about the PVC (laughs) element. (laughs) And then they could throw them, as they neared shore, they could throw these bales, now waterproof, into the sea and they would go to shore and then the um, dry land smugglers could take them in. What is an oil skin? You read about them a lot in these kind of... In Moby uh, Dick. In Moby Dick. (laughs) Did did he not tell you? There there is quite a lot of knowledge in Moby Dick that is assumed. Right. You're supposed to know what a a capstan is, what the forecastle is, what the gunwales are. Oh dear. Gunwales? Gunnels? Are these all parts of ships? I think they are parts of ships. Topmast, mizzen sail. Oil skin is like treated... Fabric, I guess. Leather, yeah, to be... I would say it were like a buffed-up hide. (laughs) And I think maybe waxed. (laughs) Waxed for waterproofing. Waxed, why not? Why wax not? is something they had. A waxed of. and buffed up hide is the that is surely the sexiest thing that's ever been said on this podcast. <laughs> Sexy smuggling stuff. <laughs> and the spirits were put into tubs 
And these tubs were around four gallons. Again, what were they made of? I don't know. Well, probably wood. just wood. wood. Yeah. Oh, a wooden tub. Tubs, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and they okay. were called half anchors. A-N-K-E-R. No. Yes. Like the um, Bluetooth speaker, the anchor sound core. I guess so. That's, um, that's a reference for Chris. And they would... Uh, Chris the is tubs. loving that reference. <laughs> The tubs could be strapped together, and then there were uh, the people that carried the tubs were known as tub men. Amazing. So some of the tub land thumping. smugglers would be tub men. Is this where tub thumping comes could from? Could be. Because what on earth is that if it's not? <laughs> yeah, what is tub thumping? If, unless, like, you know, free traders thumping on. Thumping on tubs. Maybe and- that's how they raised the alarm. They thumped on their tubs. <laughs> but they don't want to raise Maybe that's no. how they would raise the alarm. When, of a when, dragoon when a dragoon being found a yes. tub, he would thump on the tub. This is right. This is, this is definitely it. right. Um, this is internet and, level research. <laughs> and the tub men would um, carry two strapped together tubs at once. One tub would go on their front and one tub on their back. Yeah. So they could. But this seems highly visible to the naked eye. <laughs> Done at night. Done at night. Or and in also, a fat just suit. they had the element of surprise. Often they just weren't enough government men to. Oh, I keep see. So an they eye. weren't even really trying to disguise. Well, yeah. so no, they, you, you wouldn't know. go into port and try and do this. No. You would do this in out, outside out, of the port, out on the coast somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. Do you think that they would? A ship would come along and it would throw a load of this stuff off, and then still go into port and say, "Oh, look, I've Here just got a meager I'm sure they did. Yes, yeah, so yeah. they would. Cotton. They would smuggle Here's one some. twenty pack of Marlborough Reds, and then that would be less <laughs> suspicious if someone had knew that your ship was at sea. Yeah, and you'd be like, "Back here, I come with. Here I am. And put yeah. some of your goods through officially, and some of your goods get smuggled. Makes sense. And of course, once the ships made land, everything had to run like clockwork. So it all was carefully timed that the men on shore would be there ready to secrete away the goods, smuggle the goods away. And then they would move them through the routes on land and they had various hiding places along the way. Yeah. And they had all sorts of hiding places. Holes. Holes. Coves. Coves. Well, now we want to get them inland. Ah. Yeah. We must put coves from our minds. Okay. Where, would, where would we? Where? Oh, when you get an old tree and there's a hole. <laughs> oh, like in um, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, Boo Radley hides little wax carvings of the the kids in the hollow of a tree. Yes. You would now replace that with booze. Booze. You wouldn't get many tubs in a tree, though. No, there aren't many tubs in a tree, as they say. No, sellers of pubs. There were a lot of pubs that were in on it, oh, yeah. and they would of course take their share of the booze. Barns in farmland, even in roof spaces and under the altar cloths of churches Brilliant. in particularly scandalous cases. That's sacrilegious. And as I said earlier, in some communities, almost everybody was, was in on it yeah. one way or another. There's a Rudyard Kipling poem called A Smuggler's Song. And he uses the line, brandy for the parson, backy for the clerk. And this references the fact that many a parson, a farmer, an innkeeper, they might one day find a, a bottle on their doorstep and that meant tonight you leave your barn open or you leave the church open Um, and the next morning or a few days later the goods would have been moved on again and then there'd be another bottle left behind to say thanks for the yeah thanks for the space you can lock up now and there's one story of a parson who used to leave the barn door open to where his carriage was kept and the smugglers would use his carriage and it was known to be the parson's carriage. So it kind of, they could pass without challenge anywhere because obviously nobody thought that the parson would be involved. Uh... Yeah. The gang had frequent clashes with the authorities, some of which turned lethal. One particularly violent battle took place in 1735. Customs men had discovered that one of the Hadley gang's largest storehouses at Seymour, and they seized everything that they found there. 
Accompanied by the military, the customs men took the wares to the George Inn at Hadley for overnight storage. A bit of a strange choice. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But there they went. We're just having a night at the pub, boss. <laughs> We're going to bring all this uh, conceivable contraband straight back. The gang discovered the whereabouts because there's someone at the George Inn obviously tipping yeah. them off. All mm. the customers men have just turned up with all your stuff. So the gang discovered the whereabouts of the stash and around 20 men rode to the inn demanding that their goods be surrendered. They weren't fearful, you know, they didn't yeah. say, no. oh, well, it's a fair cop. They were like, we're getting no. that back. But also, it's a small world. They'd be like, George... You know you're only one man. Give it it back. Here's a pint of whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that sort of thing went on. But not this time. There was an ensuing fight. A dragoon was shot dead. Oh. And others were injured. And the gang rode off with the contraband again. (laughs) But the men had been recognised. And two gang members were subsequently hanged for their part in the affray. Well, that's good. I mean, people should be hanged if they get into (laughs) dragoon business. (laughs) I always think. And there were many such skirmishes between free traders and the king's men throughout the 18th century. The whole concept of the power of the state being a sort of totally and utterly insurmountable, like to us, the idea that you would sort of like get into a fight with the police and then just win and get your drug drugs back or yeah. whatever, it seems totally unimaginable. But back in the day, because there's no communication, no telecommunications and there's no like weapons of mass destruction or whatever the hell they have now, it was just person versus person. Mm. You, you couldn't suddenly call in a yeah. hundred more policemen. And-, and it was just, yeah, who who had the stronger power, essentially, who had the more men who could fight harder. Yeah. But also, the like, I always think... If you were George the Dragoon and you were looking at Tony Hadley... Everyone in your story is called George. (laughs) Yeah, that's confusing because the innkeeper is also called George. No, it's the the George Inn. The king king at the time is is George III. All right, you're you're John Dragoon and you're looking at Tony Hadley and his gang. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, I could be the wanker who comes along and goes, "Mm, you've got to give me a Mm. contraband. You've got any gold, (laughs) Tony? Yeah, and then Tony Hadley... (laughs) Why would you want to be John? (laughs) Why John Dragoon? Why would you want to be John Dragoon? Because you're on the side of the law, Rosie. I know, but if no one's adhering to the law, then what does the law mean? Yeah, it's well, terrifying. That's yeah. the yeah, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? That's it backed up by a bunch of pipes. John Dragoon is not earning. No, more. he's not earning enough he's to not, make this worthwhile. He's not earning more. Maybe he has a nice. He's uniform. looking at John Harvey in Pond Hall. He's like, I don't live in a manor house. No, and here's this smuggler thinking, his Pond Hall. My brandy. <laughs> John Harvey himself, the leader of the Hadley Gang, was arrested and tried in 1747. And this was after a joint operation with the Norfolk Yarmouth gang had gone tits up. John Harvey's trial was held at the Old Bailey and his indictment began thus. That he, John Harvey, together with a number of 80 persons, on the 30th of June 1746 in the parish of Sheverton, there carrying firearms and other offensive weapons Uh. in order to commit the clandestine running of certain uncustomed goods to wit. About 50 hundred weights of tea from parts beyond the sea, wow. from which goods were customs due to his majesty. That's is there, is lovely. This a poet? That I know, that's lovely. Um, so Read they, it again. Say that again. Said, I was going to say. 50 hundred weights of tea from parts beyond the sea, from which goods were customs due to his majesty. <laughs> no, that's not true. It was that the And they would sing that, and then the theme tune to the shipping forecast would play lovely in the back. <laughs> they, they did all this phrase tea from parts beyond the sea comes mm. up quite a lot in smuggling that's oh, what they lovely. called the tea that's brilliant because it was all coming from far you know in the, the sea and far away 
Harvey was found guilty and he was sentenced to seven years transportation off to Australia. That doesn't, oh, I was going to say that doesn't sound too bad. Transportation no, you, d- you sounds... die there. Lots of people died there. But hang on, so seven years transportation? Well, the then theoretically, mean? so you, you would... come back. You could come back, but, but while you were there... You would sometimes be in work camps and things oh. as well. But not many people came back because how are you going to get the money to transport yourself? Oh, you pay yourself? your own re-transportation? Well, you, they don't pay for you to come back to the UK. Oh. So if you were transported, then after seven years, you, theoretically you could come back. But, but how would you how actually would you, do that? You know? oh. And barbecues at Christmas. <laughs> You're saying quite appealing. <laughs> ah. Oh, so they, they could have come back, but well, you they chose not to. I'm going surfing. We've discussed the potential upsides of transportation before on this podcast. (laughs) But, I mean, Australia was a harsh land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Hadley gang, though, continued their operations because I'm sure, as with any gang, you've just got a deputy waiting to step up. Probably a bit of an internal power struggle. And then somebody steps forward and takes the lead. There's stories of their um, nefarious crimes for several years afterwards of, again, like busting into military places to get their contraband back and all sorts of things. These people have no uh, sense of propriety. None whatsoever. I love them. In my life, I would like to be that person who hides the contraband in the cellar of the pub which I'm running Mm. and then I'm serving the dragoon at the bar Mm. and I'm taking his money Mm. and I know that underneath in the cellar the contraband is flowing and I'm raking in the money well and also you're probably serving them the contraband and they're paying you for it Uh, (laughs) and there's a sort of clonking and bonking going on and you have to pretend you've got a wooden leg (laughs) oh you're coughing (laughs) (laughs) oh it's just my pet rabbits And with that clonking and bonking, there ends part one of the smugglers of the Suffolk coast. None of us died from the tobacco drink, which is excellent news. And you can join us next time where we will hear more dastardly exploits of the Hadley gang. Thank you for listening. See you soon.